Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. What is love? We've talked a great deal, particularly in the last few weeks, that it all comes back to love, or at least everything we do should attempt to come back to love. It's not a rare occurrence to hear that love is the main principle of Christianity, and even in a community like ours that is wonderfully diverse and eclectic in our theological spectrum, um, even for us it's a grounding force. And, of course, we look at um, Christ saying the greatest commandments, uh, loving God with your heart, mind, soul, body, along with loving your neighbor as yourself. Perhaps it is fate, or perhaps it's good riddance, that this passage is a part of the lectionary um, on the week that I get to preach, and that I've also been musing over this question, how we define love for a couple of weeks now, and I would be doing um, this text a disservice, I think, if I didn't engage it um, with a little bit of context rather than focus in on John 3.16, um, but I'm trying to walk this very fine line between exploring some of the texts of today's lectionary picks in their fullness and all of their duality while also not making excuses for the text. What I'm hoping um, is merely to spark in your thoughts and questions how capital L, love, is framed. Um, what is your experience with it, and how does it make meaning uh, for your identity and belief? And, you know, like, if I say something wrong or something you don't agree with, you can just, like, throw me in with the snakes, and we'll be golden. Um, or maybe bronze, sorry. Terrible, terrible joke, but... Anyway, moving on, um, just to prep us uh, with some context here, um, 
and again, you know, we are just kind of fleshing out uh, some of this space, and it's going to be messy and wonderful, um, and I am doing all of this in the context of also our, our community, um, that we have expressed uh, certain things about love and have absolutely uh, expressed it in terms of our response um, during this pandemic. It has just been a beautiful thing to be able to sit back and watch as our community has cared for each other um, in the midst of a very challenging time. Um, so my gratitude is absolutely extended to you all. Um, and it is done in love uh, that we come to the text together, that we come to our experience together, and we lift them up, and we look them over, and we see what they have to say um, in terms of how we walk away from this space and into uh, the rest of the world as well. Um, and it's just funny coming back to a text like this, because I get immediate flashbacks to Awana sword drills and seeing John 3.16 printed on the bottom of Forever 21 bags um, all over the place. It just has pervaded uh, kind of the conscious at this point in terms of number of references. And it's probably one of the most well-known references to a Bible verse, um, but I rarely see it fully printed out. Um, usually you just see John 3.16 and either just that alone or just the verse alone and definitely not with the intended context. Um, the verses don't happen in a vacuum, neither do our experiences of the text. Um, so with all that to say, we enter this conversation at verse 14 and Jesus is speaking in this text and is having a conversation with Nicodemus, uh, which I came across a commentary that says his name literally means power for the people. So that's a fun additive for you. Um, but he was a Jewish scholar, a leader, and was engaged in this conversation with Jesus about how someone gets born again. And this is coming shortly after um, Jesus going to the temple, kind of the disturbance of the peace, and he visits Jesus by night. Um, he begins to suspect some things about who Jesus is, what Jesus is saying, um, and he has questions about what Jesus means to be born anew or born from above, um, and Jesus, you know, calls in being born um, of the Spirit. And so, in this text, we have snakes, light, darkness, good, evil, ah, Everything um, is super fun. Luther re uh, reacts to even John 3.16 as gospel in a nutshell, more or less. Um, we start with verse 14 as a reference to a story from uh, Numbers 21, 4 through 9. Um, the Israelites are grumbling against God for bringing them out of Egypt into the wilderness. God responds by sending them a plague of fiery serpents, which kills a lot of Israelites. The Israelites confess their sin, beg for mercy. So God told Moses to make a bronze serpent and put it on a pole 
and whoever looked at the bronze serpent was saved from the fiery serpents. So, all that to say, I don't know what to do with this text, um, outside of maybe even preach against it, uh, especially in our current context, as some people do ascribe this pandemic as God's punishment for the world or correction of the world, um, we really have to consider, is this part of the same theological vision of God um, as we understand the divine, again, from maybe whatever frame you are uh, coming from? But this text, um, and also even as we enter into kind of aspects of John 3, 16 and 18, um, kind of the whole like eschatological uh, deal and also judgment, um, it's almost this antithetical gospel, one of exclusion rather than inclusion. And um, the fixation as we get on 316 versus, you know, we're just skipping over uh, the fiery serpents is a case in point of the understanding is flowing out of this whole theological framework based on a demanding, so angry about all of our moral failings that uh, he threatens to punish us for all eternity unless we get our thinking about Jesus right. Um, faith becomes transactional, love becomes conditional, and salvation is all about the individual. Um, with fear as the driving force um, behind it all. And this is similar in the ideology and theology of empire. It supports this whole hierarchical scheme that God is on top, um, men are over women, rich over poor, you go down the list. Um, and all of that can be enforced with violence if necessary. And it's fascinating to see that in this frame, then, Jesus is almost pitted against God um, as God shows up as this mercilessly just supreme being, and then Jesus comes in with radical grace. Um, already, there's some sense of questions that come to mind. Um, but with all of those things to consider, and as we understand um, this introduction to love, um, the Greek and Hebrew both give us uh, words to describe kind of different forms of love. And so in the Greek, there are three, um, the eros, agape, and philia, um, different kinds of love. And there are plenty of sermons that explore how love shows up in the biblical text in each of these three varieties. Um, instead, I want to explore what we mean when we say, as long as it all comes back to love. Um, we are a community that purposefully doesn't put many stakes in the ground in terms of required beliefs to that inform your belonging here. Um, instead, we invite your wisdom as not only um, being a part of the conversation, but truly believing that you belong in it. Um, so John 3.16 in particular utilizes agape as the form of love at hand. 
And I find um, MLK Jr.'s account of agape love to be um, very meaningful of how he describes it. For him, he says agape is not an affectionate feeling, nor does it even require liking the beloved. Um, instead, love is an attitude. Um, there, the reason behind it, um, it's not aimed at a select few, but rather all members of the moral community. It involves understanding, goodwill, respect, active concern. It desires the common good, resistance to injustice, and restoration of the beloved community. And so, even as we understand uh, the particular language that is utilized here to describe it, um, I want to use the frame of um, a couple different aspects of the definition of love and explore then what that means for our understanding, how we relate to love, um, and then what it looks like. And so um, I want to kind of take us through, again, these are, are minor differences and can probably all be included in uh, the true definition of love, um, but working through love is justice, love as acceptance or tenderness, um, and love as queer. And um, I know I've, I've utilized a lot of references to the last, and I don't mean to harp on it. Um, this is simply just a way that if the definition of love were to kind of be at the center, um, you can imagine kind of like a, a ball at the center, and there being a, a large ring kind of placed around it, depending on which point you are coming from on the, the ring as you move towards the center, you might find uh, particular differences that in turn help inform all of the other points um, what the true meaning of the center is. And so this is also just meant to be a starting point, of course. Um, and so to jump into the idea of love as justice, as I've heard a couple folks kind of point out over the last couple of weeks. Um, this quote from Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams, it says, love and justice are not two. Without inner change, there can be no outer change. Without collective change, no change matters. Love and justice are not two. Um, as we read kind of through this understanding, uh, that love and justice are not separate. Um, in fact, they are actually quite compatible, if not necessary to one another. Um, I would say, you know, that there's a couple understandings of justice, especially as we look towards a biblical text. One frame, um, is more seeing it as corrective justice. Um, and there's another form that is actually restorative. Um, and I would maybe hope to make the point that God's justice is on that restorative side. Um, and love must, must consider justice. Love without regard for the terms of justice becomes just a sentiment. Um, thoughts and prayers. And so 
as we work through this passage in particular, God so loved the world, agape, the world, the cosmos. Um, I find it really interesting. Uh, we don't have to necessarily read this passage through a lens of God condemning us so much um, as maybe one frame saying that people condemning themselves or others. Um, it says, everyone who does evil hates the light for fear that they will be exposed. Um, when you're seeking what is right, there is little reason to hide. And I think that if we played this verse out, it would say that when we choose the ways of evil and darkness and violence, we are inherently condemning ourselves and others to imitative acts of this reciprocal evil and darkness and violence. It's a cycle that becomes very hard to break as we see played out on the grander scale of our society as well as in individual lives. How one person alone can be directly impacted by these cycles of hurt and pain. And of course, when we act in justice, it doesn't mean that there won't be pushback. In fact, by being out in the light, you are exposed to a great number of threats for seeking what is just. Um, unarmed truth is bold honesty at great cost to the self. Um, MLK Jr. Using, or used to ask civil rights leaders, um, do you have your cemetery clothes on? There was a recognition, um, even as they were committed to nonviolent protest, uh, that they were unarmed in a system completely hostile to their existence. Um, and they were still showing up, um, acknowledging the light and also the force of darkness that would be pitted against them. I really enjoy um, Roar, our patron Saint Roar, uh, coming into the conversation as well to say that God's passion is justice. It's a social form of compassion, that justice is about politics. Um, politics is about the shape and the shaping the structure and the structuring. Um, justice is the pol political form of compassion, the social form of love. Um, and so if we explore through this lens, I see justice playing out less so in the eschatology of this text and more so in the accountability um, for fear that they may be exposed. Uh, accountability is going to feel like condemnation to anyone who is profiting off that their actions are not being exposed. Um, that's why so many tragedies are covered up, quickly hurried off the front page. There's such a big reaction when there's release of footage or evidence um, that seemingly can't be refuted. Um, and so all of those things, um, if we inherently um, are seeking love, we're seeking justice, uh, we're, we're seeking something that recognizes uh, the goodness, the sacredness uh, in, in all. And so 
if you also look through this text to say uh, God didn't send um, the Christ us into the world uh, to condemn it but to save it um, that there is not light present in this world to condemn it uh, but to acknowledge it and so perhaps um, we can see how this space shows up um, being sent ourselves uh, into the world not to condemn it but to save it and so then love is the drive towards the unity of the separated if everyone um, in an equitable world has a place at God's table um, love is constantly moving towards reunion and in that finds itself united with uh, anything that is helping in destroying what is against love. Um, so if love is seeking unity, justice is the form in which this power becomes actualized. Um, when you inherently love something, and if we were going to say we love justice, then we must hate its opposite. So if we love justice, we hate injustice. And so just to invite into um, this text the, the righteous anger as an appropriate response to injustice, um, how does that kind of come into contact? And of course, it's not to say that it is inciting or um, inviting violence. Um, it's simply to say that justice is pushing uh, towards action or the hate of injustice is pushing towards an action so that we can reflect um, love back in the world. So to consider all these things, right, come back to Cornell West, justice is what love looks like in public. Sometimes we can only know something by what it looks like, um, and that can, can be enough. And so if this is our frame that we work from, um, that love is justice, how does that impact your understanding of yourself um, as you encounter this text? How does it impact how you relate to others, um, relate to the divine? Um, and then what does that mean? How, how do we react to it? What do we do with it? Um, and to move into kind of the second frame, as much as I love that first half of Cornell West's uh, quote, there's also the second. Um, so it says, justice is what love looks like in public, followed by just like tenderness is what love feels like in private. Um, and perhaps the most tender feeling in the most intimate of setting, whether with God or another human, is full acceptance, showing up exactly as you are, um, no additives, no subtraction, uh, there is nothing to be done or said or needed um, outside of yourself. And so for me, the idea of tenderness is that it presupposes um, relationship, because at least in my experience, that takes a great deal of trust of accepting the acceptance um, to get there. 
And so if love is a tender thing, um, I think it'd be very hard to do a tender thing in and through a violent act. And so as we consider um, the text of John 3, 14 through 21, how then does tenderness shape? Does it force us to seek out nonviolent understanding? Um, and then how might we be able to work that into our standing of what, um, what Christ coming into the world means? Um, and also in a sense of tenderness, I, as I see it kind of presupposing previous relationship, I also see it as a form of reunion, um, that it is a reconnection, whether it's with yourself, with another, with the holy, um, even when religion and religious systems get distorted or co-opted, um, there is still this choice of being able to reconnect and reclaim or let go um, of something if it's not working and is not going to be able to continue to provide a sense of tenderness and acceptance. Um, Jesus was all about reclaiming and renewing um, even the deep religious tradition in which he was rooted. Uh, we see this work kind of continued out as well. Um, and so reconnection matters. So as you read through uh, the text of God uh, coming into the world to join it, to reconnect with it, to share light um, and beauty and a moment of tenderness with humanity, um, even though uh, darkness or injustice uh, is present in the world, uh, there is a sense of loving kindness um, that is present in it too. But that's all really hard to understand um, and to quantify. And so that kind of moves us into the final frame. Um, and I've been incorporating this kind of more and more um, of recognizing the freeing nature of understanding God's own love, capital L love, as queer. That is to say, not having to be defined in any certain terms. Um, in fact, we can't. Um, I always love the idea, right? God doesn't change so much as human knowledge of God evolves. And so what are kind of the new realizations, um, the new extensions of what humanity looks like, even in 2021, have to say about the growing image that we have um, of the divine. And so even with playing around with queerness, the whole thing is that it just completely obliterates the ability to put boxes or put a definition on it. Um, and so speaking of kind of that language, um, there are a couple of particular words in uh, the Greek that maybe can be played with and toyed around with a little bit. The word for belief, um, for whoever believes in him, right, uh, can also be taken as trust. Um, so if that changes, and I'll change a couple of the other words here as well just to reflect, um, how does it change the meaning? For God 
loved the cosmos in this way, that he gave his one and only son, that all that trust in him shall not be destroyed, but have eternal life. If we look through this lens of queerness, maybe uh, the passage is to say that God's love for the world, although not able to be fully understood or defined, shows that those who were excluded and pushed out by society are now included in the family. Uh, they don't have to stay in the darkness, in the closet, but they can exist in the light and see that even though internalized homophobia made them feel like they needed to hide, uh, their whole self is good and they can live by their truth um, so that it may be plainly seen uh, that, they, that who they are and for everyone to see that what has been done has been done in the sight of God and is loved by God. Um, to use a quote I have used before from Kevin Garcia, uh, they say in their book, Bad Theology Kills, uh, to be in love, capital L love, is to be so caught up in the reality of our communion with God, insert universal Christ language here, um, that we naturally flow in our purpose, bringing healing to everyone around us. It is our natural state. It is where we came from and to where we will return. When we can remember that we are included in love, our lives become richer. They also use um, the language of at-one-ment um, as a kind of response to atonement theory, um, to seek and to find oneness. And this is a relational miracle as we understand it in terms of both human connection and connection with the divine. Um, and we can understand through this lens that God's love for the cosmos, um, this world, is continuing to expand and to grow. And Christ shows up in new and similar ways as the image of God expands to continue to stretch open um, the revealing of the cosmic self. So this is the cosmic Christ who always was, who became incarnate in time, and who is still being revealed. Um, and as I know, again, um, I did that thing that I tried to avoid of focusing only on one main aspect of the text, and it's, you know, hard to go beyond that in um, a single 40 minutes or so, but all is to say, um, this is definitely a messy space, and I think there's a lot of beauty in that messy space. When I first started going to counseling, um, I tried to show up to my sessions every week and explain in very quick and well-contained language and emotion um, what my trauma or uh, emotional experience was and how I already fixed it. Um, rather than allowing that space to be messy and be full of the emotions and not have to package them up so nicely. Um, I believe the same is true of our kind of theological um, and spiritual journeys. And that as we make meaning, as maybe we apply these lenses or a different definition of love um, into the space that we can find, um, what will bring us meaning as we continue to explore the depths of the unknown. Um, and we are coming at this question of 
belief from such a variety of different ways, whether that is your engagement here on Sundays uh, through the lectionary or on Wednesday nights, particularly through Lent um, and atheism for Lent. And there's also so many other things that y'all are considering and reading and are involved in. And so all of that to say, um, this is, of course, just a starting point. Um, as I kind of understand in myself um, that agape, um, that love is incredibly compatible with justice, that we can't truly unravel the two, um, that it probably makes up a big part of my own definition of love. Um, and I also find some meaning in acknowledging um, the, the dark, the, or at least the shadow side of the world, and that there is something that I'm supposed to do about it um, as a response. And so I would say, as I look at this text, um, healing and resurrection in the ways that we've talked about in the past comes from an acknowledgement of the things that are not as they are supposed to be and taking a direct action to reflect a new reality that affirms the sacred in all. Um, you know, it, it comes back to say that God is love. So then God is justice, God is tenderness and acceptance, uh, God is queer, God creates in love, God is relationship, um, community and diversity, um, co-creating with us in, in wholeness and also extending um, welcome. God is entering into every part of our world. Um, no additives, no saying including or even you, uh, just right there, period. Um, so as we kind of open this up to conversation, and I apologize for how long it's gone, um, how, what does God's love actually mean to you? Um, how are these frames helpful, not helpful, too limiting, uh, way too broad? What does it mean to kind of take something and integrate it into your own practice? Um, so I'm, I'm so excited to engage with this on, on Sunday um, and hear far wiser thoughts uh, from many of our sages in our community as we consider what love is and what love looks like as we bring it forth um, from here. And as we approach this week, may we love God, embrace beauty, and life to the, live life to the fullest. Amen. It's in joy that I come from Nothing you could block your truth Love it and nothing I'm captured by the good you do